Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another splendid episode of the Comics Collective, your show, your favorite show, where we talk about a single comic or graphic novel of our choosing for the week. I am your host, Anne. I'm Alexis. And I'm Dallas. And before we get into today's episode, which we will be talking about another fun book for Spoopy Month, I want to pass the torch over for just a second to Dallas, who has been spending the entire weekend, definitely not just one day, over at New York Comic Con and having some fun. Dallas, talk to us about the Comic Con experience and how it was for you. New York Comic Con is such a treat. If, Mm -hmm. dear listener, if you ever have a chance to come to New York Comic Con, I highly recommend it. Where San Diego Comic-Con is the biggest Comic-Con, but it's the one that has become about the movies and the TV and the actors. Whereas New York is still very much, it has those aspects, but it has the biggest artist alley of any of them. And you get to come in to the Javits Center, which is this huge event center in New York with like 60,000 other people and meet all of your favorite comic book creators. I spent all day at Artist Alley chatting with friends of the show like David Pepos, meeting new friends, uh, getting some great emails for future guests on this, (laughs) and genuinely just celebrating the love of comic books with the people who create them and the friends I've made over the last year who love them. It was really kind of, I had this sweet moment where I realized last year when I went to New York Comic Con, it was Really, the first fun thing that I did super special in New York after moving at the beginning of the summer, like we moved in, we got ourselves all moved in, we settled and it's kind of our living life. And then I was like, I'm going to go to New York Comic Con because I live in New York now. And I went all alone with I just put in some headphones and I listened to the Cerebro podcast all day while I cruised around looking at books and I take it out to talk to creators. And I met some creators that were very kind to me. But then this year, I had friends to go with and I had friends to meet with that were also going. And when I talked to comics creators, they were familiar with this podcast and we got to have these fun back and forths. And it just felt like this really cool moment of community that I appreciated so much. So I just wanted to thank, I mean, my good friend, Doug, from the YouTube channel for Every Kind of Geek. I had a great day with him. He's probably my best friend out here in New York. We hang out a decent amount. And then I was able to meet Brad and Lisa Gullickson from Comic Book Couples Counseling. And we went and got dinner with them. That was so fun. I got to meet Chris from over at the Oblivion Bar podcast in person. He's a great guy, great podcast. And it was just wonderful. Like the con was fun, but it was the people that made it so special this year. That is awesome. And so, so wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And yeah, definitely make sure you go check out Doug's YouTube channel, um, Forever Kind of Geek. And also make sure you check out Brad and Lisa's show, Comic Book Couples Canceling. It's fantastic. And it was the Oblivion Bar, right? I want to make sure I'm not messing up the name for that. Yes. The Oblivion Bar. Also check that out. Love that you have so many friends and people that are appreciating you out there, which is, you know, (laughs) as they should. What can I say? I'm pretty great. (laughs) What can can you say? People like that big boy from the internet. The big old man. Yeah, everybody kept saying, I'm surprised how big you are. And I mean, first off, that's what she said. But second off, um, yeah, I'm six foot four and like 240 pounds, everybody. Yeah, I'm a, no. I'm a big person. If you have been listening to this and you're like, I bet he's small. Nope. Big dude. 
Yep. No, not a lot of people I have to look up to physically, and um, Dallas is one of them. Also spiritually, I look up to you spiritually as well. So that all checks out. <laughs> I love being the podcast Tiny Tim. It's great. You're a favorite. I'm not we, even that small. We got a pair of crutches for you. You will be here next Christmas, I promise. All right. What is everyone's favorite Christmas Carol rendition? Because it's the Muppets. The Muppets it's, Christmas Carol okay. is number one. Oh, actually, that's wrong. Far and away. I can confidently say with my full chest that is incorrect. <gasps> Shut Barbie. Up. Barbie Christmas Carol. Keep it to yourself. Okay. Solid answer, but also Solid answer. Kermit? The frog? It's so good. The We're Muppets Marley Christmas Carol. Marley. For my favorite like classic rendition, that one's perfect. I love the twist that Doctor Who gave the Christmas Carol. Because they gave their own rendition. It was Matt Smith's first Christmas special. And it's on this planet with flying sharks. And if you know me, you say flying sharks, and it's already my favorite thing of all time. So that's that's one of my favorites. And it's the doctor who meets this guy, and he needs his machine to do something. And the guy's being all grumpy about it. So he goes back in that guy's timeline to become his best friend and hopefully make him less grumpy in the future. And it's hilarious because the guy's watching his memories change in real time. And it's so clever. I like it very, very much. That sounds very fun. Yeah. Someday I will watch Star Trek and Doctor Who and realize mm -hmm. that I've been missing out for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But today is not that day. Today's not that day, but well, I'm waiting with bated breath. But you know what is today, though? Ooh. Today is not Christmas. We are in gay Christmas, Halloween. We are talking about Junji Ito's Shiver, which is one of his many collections of short stories and is my personal favorite collection of short stories of his. There is, um, there is not a, a weak thread in this bunch here. This is a solid group of stories. And for those of you listening at home who maybe missed our Hellstar Remina episode and don't know who Junji Ito is, um, he's the guy you see on all those shirts from Hot Topic that the kids are wearing these days. It, they, they're going around. So just to fill everyone in, there is something different about the works of Junji Ito. One of the most prominent horror mangaka working today, Junji Ito has been drawing and crafting nightmares since he was only four years old. His career would be eventually jump-started by his famous running work, Tomie, which we got to read a short little snippet of in this book, which is about an interesting succubus creature that entices men and eventually leads them to commit homicidal acts, including chopping her up so that she can regrow, spread herself across the earth like a plague. She is terrifying. Love her very much. I look up to her so much. <laughs> She's an idol. She's, I, hmm? I'm yeah. absolutely picking up the full Tomie. Oh, like, right? sure. Reading the first sure. chapter, I was like, and I'm getting the full one. It's a good preview. It gets you into it. Um, he is an Eisner Award winner. He actually won um, his first Eisner for his adaptation of Frankenstein, which, by the way, one of my favorite novels of all time. It is absolutely the best adaptation of that book that I have ever read in my life. It is the only time I've looked at that monster and said, yeah, that is shit your pants scary. That is fantastic. If you haven't read that, definitely check it out. He's a writer whose work span across many various horror outlets, but with a heavy focus on the areas of cosmic and body horror, two of my absolute favorites. You tell me Lovecraftian, you tell me John Carpenter's The Thing, I'm Therefore, and Junji Ito has elements of all of the above. With these works best being exemplified with selections like Hellstar Remina, which you can go back and check out our episode on from last July, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. And also Uzumaki, which is one of his most famous long works. 
It is hard to mention a work of Junji Ito that hasn't made somebody's skin crawl. With a command and understanding of how graphic art works, Ito has perfected a style that has captured the imagination of a worldwide audience. From his excellent use of shading to his spot-on understanding of the power of the page turn, he makes the medium work for him, and that is what makes him so special. I cannot think of a single artist working today that can capture a fraction of what this man can. He has put horrors to the page that ever since the passing of famous artist and designer of the xenomorph from Alien himself, H.R. Geiger, I had simply assumed that we would never, ever see again. His hand works magic. And although I will not be bold enough to claim that he is the most original voice to ever grace the medium, I will say that there are very few artists that I personally believe are working today in any medium that have fed such fed kindling into my own personal nightmares like Junji Ito himself has. And, you know, I'm not biased or anything as a fan of horror, but I think that Junji Ito is one of those creators that, like, reignited my passion for the genre. And every time I read through his works, I can feel the gears in my brain starting to turn again. It reminds me of why horror works so well and why these stories still have the impact on us that they do. And with all that being said, with my personal introduction to Junji Ito, out of the way, I want to turn it over to you two who have read this book for the first time. And I wanted to ask, what are your initial thoughts on this collection of works? I got to be the first to say, I got to jump right out the gate and say, both of these people set me up for failure and did not teach me how to properly read Japanese books. (laughs) I got about six or seven pages in and realized, I don't know what the fuck is going on because I, I mean, I'm not stupid enough to say that I don't know that the book starts backwards. I know that. Mm -hmm. I know that, but I didn't catch on to the fact that obviously the pages are backwards too, so I should read them the other way, but I wasn't, and I was like, wow, these stories are really messy. I was like, Anne, what the fuck am I reading? (laughs) But then I took it upon myself to Google, in my shame, how to properly read Japanese books, and then after that, it was great. This ruled. This was (laughs) so good. I do have to say, though, I started it and then had to stop so that I could go to bed and then finished it this morning because I was like, nope, 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 nope. Yep. I'm not finishing it tonight. What? So, oh, go for it, Dallas. What moment scared you the worst made you put it away? Oh, I don't know. I don't. Mm, I might have to remember which was the first one. I want to say the spooky ass head balloons. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, no, no. That's that's a lie. Actually, the the body horror of Shiver itself. Yeah. Because that one's right at the beginning. Like, when he's standing in the window, I said, shut the fuck up. I'm done. <laughs> I said, good thing I got curtains. I love that. I had, like, when I read this um for the first time, I, I, I picked this up right when um, quarantine started, actually. And I remember reading it through the first time. I had the exact same moment you did, where I'm reading it late at night. And I realized that I was becoming very, very conscious of what was going on in the dark kitchen behind me. And I'm like, you know what? This is a lights on kind of night. And I'm just going to, you know, go to bed. I'm going to turn the lights on in the entire apartment, go to bed now. And that was when I was reading through Fashion Model, which is the story in here that introduces one of Junji Ito's more popular monsters, um, the Fashion Model Fuchi. And it was the panel where we see the detail in her face grow more menacing when it's he's trying to um, get himself to calm down at night and you see her face just blown up behind him and I saw that image and like that's if I don't stop now that's gonna be in my nightmares tonight so I'm I'm stopping right here so I'm that's really cool that we had the same moment I love that absolutely yeah that that woman spooky 
That, I originally, I mean, Anne asked us all to pick a favorite. That mm-hmm. originally was my favorite because I was like, ooh, she's spooky. She's spooky big woman. But I found a better one. So. <laughs> I can't wait. I, my thing with Junji Ito, I love how original he is, first off. Like, I, every October, my wife and I spend the whole month celebrating horror. We watch as many horror movies as we can we try to read spooky books we try to just everything spooky all the time and when you do that in this huge burst you start to realize how many things are just retelling the same story you know Mm -hmm. i have seen rehashes of halloween about 419 times and that doesn't count the 460 sequels that are in the halloween series and i'm like does anyone know how to do anything that isn't michael myers and Junji Ito knows how to. Junji Ito's like, what if there were balloons with nooses that came and haunted you? And I'm like, why'd you say that? Why'd you, <laughs> why'd you come up with those words? Or just, he has this ability to twist my guts that I love body horror. I love cosmic horror, just like Anne. And there are bits of body horror in this man's work that actively make me feel ill. The book part where I put this book down because I had to go gag and I went to the bathroom. I was like, am I going to throw up from a book? It's like, I've never had that happen. I've never thrown up from a book. And I was, I'm going to start gagging just thinking about it right now. But in the Greece storyline, when the brother squoze his face and all the strings of pus fall on the girl, I, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to start gagging right now. I can't think about it. That is effective storytelling. Yep. To be able to make, I don't know anyone else that can make me feel that way in a visual way without a score. Because I was walking home today after seeing the movie Barbarian, and I was like, man, 90% of horror movies is the score. It's like, if you take away the score, half that shit isn't scary. But Junji Ito makes it scary with no music, and that is special. I, I got to share a little snippet about the Grease story, since you brought it up before I could, mm-hmm. damn it. I literally do that for a job. I pop zits for a living and I wanted to go throw up. That should say enough. I get personal joy out of picking people's zits. Nope. That did it. I might never do it again. Might possibly never do it again. Oh, I love it when I pick a book that destroys careers. That's, my, <laughs> that's honestly my only right. goal. I, I, already, I already had a career change, so we're safe. Beautiful. Perfect. Ooh, um, the, the little bugs living in the holes and shiver. Yep. <laughs> Ruin my life. She didn't like bugs. Leave her alone, that poor girl. Oh, and it's just the ways that those are introduced because you she's screaming about the bugs at first, and you plant that little seed there, just that little, little, little thing, and then let everyone put it together as you go along. I loved that so much in Shiver. There's okay, so there are how many stories in here? Like eight. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight nine plus an extra we got fuchi twice which was very special glad we could feel that again by the way that last little bonus story the final panel where she's just up there against the wall looking down at that woman terrifying absolutely mortifying um shark girl um i do not like you (laughs) um shark girl ooh na na (laughs) shark boy Awesome. Hero of my childhood. Shark girl. Terrifying. Nightmare of my adulthood. Um, 
I want to go through some of these stories real fast. I had everyone on the show pick their one favorite. So we have our top three stories from the Junji Ito Shiver Collection, and we will talk about those in depth here in a second. But I wanted to go through some of the other stories and talk about what works and what doesn't in terms of Junji Ito's writing. And I think, you know, for as much praise as I give it, for as much as it works for me, I do think there are some weak points that we can talk about, or at least... I wanted to get your opinion on them. So one of the things just in general that I wanted to talk about before we get into some of the specifics is I noticed going along that a lot of these stories have a very um, nightmare-esque feel to it, where it's like they're built around a central event, where it's like Shiver, the main thing is we're building up to this guy that has holes all through his body. Um, In the Hanging Balloons, it's all about a sky full of hanging heads that are hanging the people whose heads match them and in the long dream it's all building up towards um i mean sorry um honored ancestors it's all building up to this giant centipede man chasing after a woman through a house and the thing i wanted to ask is do you feel like the characters in these stories are built up as well as they should be because i read through a decent number of these stories and i was feeling like I wonder if this character could be deeper or if they're just kind of going along with the story because that's what they need to. Because there's moments like in the hanging balloons where it's like mom went outside just cause and or dad's like there's the balloons going around killing everyone. Dad's like, well, I got to go to work. And I'm like, that feels like something that would happen in my nightmare. But it doesn't feel like. (laughs) Nah, nah, I feel that one. I feel that one. (laughs) Well, shit, I got to go anyway. Sorry, I mean, uh. As the gas burns, as they say. Well, that was the thing. I wanted to see if that was just a me reaction or if that was a critique that anyone else shared. I think they definitely fall into like POV character syndrome where Mm -hmm. they're the least interesting thing going on in their story. But for me, that wasn't so much of a hindrance. I will say there is something to a horror story that sells you on the protagonist because then you care more what happens to them. I never cared that these characters were being hurt in Shiver. I just, the premise was interesting enough. I was like, damn, that sucks for you. But I wasn't rooting for any of them to get yeah. out of the horror. Mm-hmm. Say, you have any thoughts on it, Lexi? I was going to say the same thing. I feel like it kind of also just depends on the story for me, mm-hmm. too. Like, sometimes I feel like they did go more in depth than others. Because, I mean, my personal favorite was Marionette Mansion. And I feel like everybody in that one was pretty, like, in-depth personas with them. Like, even, even like, the younger sister, the brother, that's our POV character. And even, like, his cute girlfriend. Like, she had a lot going on, too. And I, so I think that's maybe why I particularly liked that one a little bit more. Um, but, no, I definitely agree with Dallas. I, could, I can see that hindsight now. But during the, while I was reading it, it didn't jump out to me really hardly at all. Yeah. Say so it's one of it's one of the things where it's like if I had to nitpick something that would be it. Yeah. But I think I agree with Dallas where it's like I I notice it but I don't really take an issue with it and I think it's one of those situations where it's like a lot of times you need that character arc to make a story feel complete. But I feel like if you build a story around a specific event, like you know, um, my brother is being controlled by marionettes in his own mansion and that's so creepy and their little butler is terrifying. Um, I feel like if you make that powerful and compelling enough, you can make people forgive the fact that the main character does have, as you excellently put, POV syndrome. 
And I think that's really interesting because you don't see that a lot. If I've seen it happen a lot of times where writers attempt to do that and it makes the story feel hollow. I don't feel like any of these felt hollow. Except for Shiver because he was literally full of holes. But that's that was was <laughs> I think that as well, Junji Ito is aware of how much complexity someone is going to be able to follow in a comic book. Mm-hmm. Uh, my introduction to Ito's work was through Uzumaki, which for me took a minute to catch on. I was like, what's so scary about a spiral? And then I was like, oh, a spiral can be very scary. And I couldn't tell you what the protagonist of that comic book was named, but mm-hmm. I can tell you exact panels that haunt me to this day. And the ending of that and the big complexity of it all has stayed with me forever. I yeah. think I actively think the only successful Lovecraftian style horror I've ever read is, or I don't think it adapts well to the TV screen. I don't think comics tend to do it very well, except for Hellstar Remina, which was mm-hmm. incredible. I read that. And I was like, oh, yep, you are as good as those short stories and novels that I've read from that very racist man. But I don't know. I just I feel like he's Junji Ito is good at pushing you right to the brink of understanding and never going over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about it and I wanted to go back to something we were talking about right before we jumped on. And one of the best parts about this collection is that we get a bit of commentary at the end of each story from Junji Ito. And we were talking about how we're going through these stories and be like, oh, well, this must be... Um, stand in for this or this must be one of the themes of the story and then you get to the end and junji it was like i wrote the story because my back hurt once and it made me think about that and you sit there and you realize oh i feel like i just read this whole thing and thought up this entire scenario for nothing but i think um you mentioning the pov character has a lot to do with that because i feel like you inserting yourself into these stories you start to see all these themes that you can relate to it makes the nightmare feel more real if it's something that you can click to. And instead of clicking with the characters, you can click with those events and with the themes that you put into the story yourself, which is one of the cool magical parts about storytelling is that sometimes an author doesn't intend to do something that you still find in the story anyway. And I think that's incredible. I think that's one of the reasons why this book works as well as it does. But with all that being, there's a lot of fun themes we can get to in the story. Do we want to talk about some of these stories in here that we will not be covering in depth? And giving a short spoiler warning, we will be um, giving, you know, summaries for some of these. So if you want to go in completely blind, I would suggest you pause the episode here and save everything that you haven't heard yet. Because this is one of those books that will take you by surprise if you don't know what's coming. Um run through some of these um, synopses and talk about them a little bit. And then we'll get into the top three of the book. So the story opens up with the book, um, not the book, the story used record, which is about a woman who discovers a record of a dying woman's voice that is surprisingly compelling to hang on to. And I don't know about you. Personally, I thought this was the most normal of the stories. I think that also kind of makes it the weakest link in the book to me personally. But is how do you feel about the the um, the intro story here? I feel like if I exactly that, I feel like it was a good soft open. Mm-hmm. Like, look, this is about shit's about to get real. Here's a soft little one for your first taste. <laughs> That's pretty good because I actually thought that it was 
one of my favorites, which really? is a little, yeah, which is I a little bit that. interesting to me purely just because, I mean, I found the story of the, um, the artist, the singer, very mm-hmm. interesting to me and how it followed the characters throughout the whole story. Because mm-hmm. basically, like, like you said, this, the woman on the record is deceased. That's the whole thing is she has passed and is dead but is singing this very alluring song that nobody knows what to do with themselves after they've heard it. It really like sit, it settles with you really weird. And it's interesting to see, of course, through the progression of the story, like with members of the story dying, that the song keeps popping up in those characters. So it's just, I thought that was very interesting. I feel like it's a really fun twist on the siren song mm-hmm. idea, the song that lures you to your death and the f- idea of it coming from the afterlife did send a little tingle down my spine in a fun introductory way. Yeah. It's that fun opening um, campfire ghost story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing that took me out of it was sometimes the lyrics were a little funny where it's just like, la, 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 rub, 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 dub, dub, dub. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. This is I this fully is did Taylor Swift, them. this is not. <laughs> fully, I was like, and they're singing, and they're yeah, singing. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that was me too. Um, yeah, I I, I definitely, um, I had at least two pages where I'm like, I'm going to just read through all of these just for the hell of it. And it made me actually laugh. So that was, um, that was my experience with that one. But we do get into Shiver next, which is one of the very iconic images on the cover of the guy with all the holes in his head um this is i think this is the first story that really shows junji ito getting into that really vivid and graphic imagery that he's very famously known for um did this i'm trying to think of the best way to ask this because I also think this is one of the best examples of Junji Ito utilizing a page turn to mimic a jump scare like you would get in a movie theater. Um, did you see it coming, Lexi? No. I mean, I knew that like something was cooking because the little girl all of a sudden was healed. And so I was like, oh no, who's got the goddamn rock? Who has the rock? But I had no idea to be his friend. I was like, oh, I mean, I'm sure it's probably just lost in their backyard. But that was so freaky. <laughs> the the eyeball that has like shifted out of the socket yes. down. Ugh. You think his and intestines are poking out of his belly? Probably. I didn't until now. <laughs> That's for that. Um, what the hell? Sorry. Oh, and when he smashes through the window with the stone, I was like, "Fuck you, dude! Stop it! Mm-hmm. Stop it!" When I watch horror, I get in this like, stop it. I'm being serious. Cool it right now, you. And I was feeling that hard when little whole friend was coming through. Yeah. I'm not someone who gets really squeamish at the um the idea of like holes there's a like people with like trypophobia i think it's called i have a friend that has trypophobia sometimes i'll just send him pictures of bubbles like in a sink (laughs) you're such an ass (laughs) um if you ever want the perfect um trypophobia thing there is a 
frog. Or oh baby. lord, I've seen that frog. The Sumerian toad? Yes, yeah. that's exactly what it is. That grows yes. its babies in its back. Yes, and, and that is um, out of the pores. It just hatches out of the pores. And that's all I can think of when I'm reading this book. And it's Shiver is the appropriate title because the you know, the characters are cold, but I'm freaking the fuck out <laughs> while I'm reading the whistle? story. You think the Do, characters holes puzzle? I if they stand just right. <laughs> You can hear the beginning of Britney Spears' Toxic. <laughs> I think that Junji Ito really taps well into bug horror. Yes. My favorite part from Uzumaki is the mosquitoes. That, for me, I think about maybe every other week. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I think of it every day. That's an exaggeration. But at least twice a month, I'm like, fuck that mosquito story. Ugh. Ugh. the little the doublet the mosquitoes and then what happens after the mosquitoes mm-hmm. and nose but yeah. oh, fucking hate that story but love it at the same time and so the idea of Junji Ito going through a book about bugs and finding out there are insects that breathe through holes in their carapace and being like I should play with that but then being like and little bugs should live in the holes in their body and I went you've gone too far this time Junji <laughs> gonna have to beat you up sorry it's like you're a little bug battleship and you're ready to deploy at any second you're welcome fire this <laughs> fire the beetles <laughs> it's kind of like forcing a fart out but all the bugs come flying out you know fun biology fact the fact that bugs breathe through those um i think they're called spiracles in their body is the reason why they can't get any bigger than they do now because um, they have to be able to bring in enough oxygen to fuel their body. And since they can't just bring it all in like we do into our lungs, it has to be enough that they can diffuse enough of it. And since there's only so much oxygen in our air, it limits how big they can get. There's a reason why in the Carboniferous period, when there was a lot more oxygen in the atmosphere, bugs could get a lot bigger. And we had 10-foot millipedes. And there's a reason why those literally cannot exist today. Bugs, as we know them, are as big as they can physically get without suffocating. Good. (laughs) Screw them, bug. That's your your fun um, biology fact for the day. It's not fun. I'm just thinking of a beetle with sleep apnea. (laughs) I'm too big. (laughs) Thank you for that imagery. Y'all are the best. Um, The next story we get into is fashion model. And this is where I feel like we get the first look at a very iconic monster. If you like your monster stories, this is the one that chases me through my own nightmares. I've definitely had a Fuchi nightmare before, and it was not fun. Um, Fuchi in the woods, not fun. Not a good time. Would not recommend. Like Lady Slenderman. Lady Slenderman. Except with a face. And that's the worst part. I think, that is the worst part. <laughs> I think it's the uncanny valley in this one that really sells it. I feel like making a monster that's human enough to pass as human, but enough to be like, that's going to bug me, is what really sells this. And I love how he sells her level of humanity by how much shading he gives her. Excellent, excellent command of shading in the story to sell just how afraid of this woman you need to be. I'm a big fan of the idea of a receding hairline as horror, because that definitely haunts me at all times. I constantly like looking at my hairline. I'm like, are you moving? Like, Son of a bitch, you better not be moving. Do you have a widow's peak? Not really. I think fine. Be quiet. I know, but there's a little part of me that's always like, 
is it all just moving at the exact same pace backwards and I'm not noticing? <laughs> it's all just gonna dis- it's all just gonna fall off in one day. Exactly. It's like Koichi just- here, she doesn't have a widow's so- peak. She just has her hair starts in the middle of her yeah, head. It's okay. And frankly, <laughs> dog, there was this person that was gonna get a toupee, and I was like, I've never seen a good toupee in my life. And then he got a good toupee. And I was like, Shut up, you look so much more handsome. <laughs> what the hell? I had no faith. Saved by the tube. Love it. Yeah, but Fuichi's hairline is scarier than her teeth, is my assessment. I think it it, it plays into making that face look more alien. It stretches it out. It makes it look even longer than it is. And her height is like that image of her sitting in the car with everyone else. And it's like, everyone else looks so normal, and she just stands out so much. And she's making direct eye contact with you, the reader. And I think that's just, it's so, so perfect. I can't, listen, everyone, everyone at home, I cannot explain to you in words how unnerving junji ito makes this woman and it's you you need to pick up this book you need to you need to read this that's that's my mid show pitch again but you know i feel like i'm almost more scared of these things now going just flipping back through pages and actually like taking the time to look at these panels because mm-hmm. I was reading it so fast while I was going because the story just stays cooking. But looking at page 106, like every single panel of Fuichi on this page is terrifying. You have a close up of her. You have a medium shot where you get to see the blood dripping off of her and her hair all done out. There's her creeping by everyone, licking her lips. I mean, it's it's scary. Mm-hmm. these pages just by themselves in a vacuum are scary outside of understanding what's happening in the story. Yeah. And I think Junji Ito also knows how much understanding to give you. What she is, is never explained. It's never even touched upon. Like all you need to know is that she is not human. And all of that is said with the art alone. And that is, peak storytelling that I wish a lot of horror creators would understand. You do not have to tell me everything about the monster. Like, I still feel like it would be better if we knew less. You read the book and Stephen King's like, listen, here's the lore about the turtle that farted and made Earth and the clown that hates it. And you're just like, neat. Okay, cool. Oh, and there's children having an orgy. Thank you, Stephen King. Very fun. Love this book very much. Um... Sometimes with horror, less is more. And I think this is one of those situations. We are skipping the next two stories because they are on our list. But we're jumping into Painter, which is that preview for Tomie. Tell me, what did you guys think about Tomie meeting her for the first time? I loved her. Mm -hmm. I want to be her when I grow up. (laughs) Um, But no, honestly, another thing that I wanted to mention, which is very interesting because this is a body horror comic. I would put that I would put that out there. This is some of the most beautiful artwork I've ever seen. Like, Mm -hmm. she is actually gorgeous and stunning, which is hilarious to me because, I mean, obviously she's a terrible, horrible monster if you really read the story. Um, But, like, I remember thinking, like, wow, this woman is absolutely gorgeous. And I love that that makes her the villain. But, um, (laughs) like, throughout the entire book, um, and the collection of the story is like every single one of like the main characters are all drawn so well and so beautifully. And I feel like, especially of course in this story painter, it's 
really really adamant that that's mm-hmm. like he pulled no stops when he was creating her um and it it just is so eerie and i love i love her nonchalance when she's like making fun of the painter i can't remember his name which i feel bad but um <laughs> back to the fact that we don't remember any of the protagonists names right. but um it just is like that feeling i guess of like oh something's coming I don't know what it is, but something, something's coming. Because, I mean, we start off the story. He's like, yeah, this girl fucked my life up. I'm like, okay, weirdo, whatever, whatever you got to say. Um, but, like, she, I mean, because her persona, she's like, oh, this is so funny. I'm going to make fun of you. Like, I'm going to laugh at you and, like, whatever. And then the shift just happens so quick because he's, like, like having withdrawals from this woman, which is so spooky to watch and to what point that it drives him to. And so I found it very interesting. This was probably one of, this has been my top three for sure. Yeah. I mean, it was good enough that I am absolutely picking up the full Tomie. That is the first chapter of, um, I have always liked the concept of a succubus story more than I tend to like the succubus story. My most, I mean, the one take that keeps me heterosexual is that I don't love Jennifer's body. Like I, everybody <laughs> is like Dallas. It's the greatest movie ever. I'm like, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't do it for me. And that's, that's the straightest part about me, frankly. And I feel like Tomie is the version of a succubus story where I finally got it. And I was like, I support women's wrongs. Okay. <laughs> Outstanding. So hot, she drove two artists crazy that yeah. she would kill it at NYU. She just walks around Washington Square Park ruining lives. Every guy with a letterbox would die. It'd, it'd be crazy. <laughs> the world would be healed. Beautiful. Do you have any idea what it is that separates this this short story, this character, from the other succubus stories? Like, what makes this work in Jennifer's body not? If that's not too big a question to just throw on you. I think it's that she feels ephemeral. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, and maybe this was totally there in Jennifer's body and I just didn't watch it with my eyes open, but I felt like understanding that men looking past the horror of what's going on because women only exist as ideas in their head is a very compelling thing to do. Like a woman is, if a woman is hot enough, she can get away with a lot because there are men that won't see her as a human being with attributes and what's going on. They just see a pretty face and then fill in the blanks that they want to be there. And I feel like I felt that a lot with Tomie, especially this idea of her being the muse of -hmm. these great artists. But I also feel like she had such a distinct personality as well, which made it really fun for me. I liked that she kind of sneered at these men and that was almost a part of it that they felt like they needed to show off for this lady they needed to demonstrate that they were superior to this pretty little model you know i just felt like it told the line so well with exactly what that personality of man would be like around that personality of woman that was fantastically beautifully said thank you for that um Tomie is a protagonist or 
she I guess she's the antagonist. She's the protagonist of her own story. She is the hero. Um, I'm also going to pick up that collection as soon as I can. That's a thick collection, though, because like I said, that was um, what got him started. And he's been writing that ever since. He just keeps dipping his toe in every once in a while. He's like, this is pretty good. She's apparently a really, really popular character in Japan. They she must be doing what doing her job on him, apparently. She just can't quit. <laughs> she is literally Junji Ito's muse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Oh, There's... nuts. It's 752 pages. Holy yeah, shit. I told you, she's a thicken. I mean, yeah. Come on. <laughs> what are you talking about? I I did like that he's like, I wanted to focus on making her pretty, and I'm like, you succeeded. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. He has a very minimalist line to him. Yeah. There's not a lot of cross-hatching or shading that goes on. And so it was interesting to me that he could sell beauty with so few lines. It's a real mm-hmm. talent. It's it's funny because he sells beauty with so few lines, but he sells horror with so many. He's like, the the key to horror is ink, and I will unlock it. I guess that makes sense. The darkness, the blackness, we can, we can make that work, right? That's, that sounds thematic, poetic enough. We're fine. Well, I mean, not to flex my New Year Comic-Con muscles again. Oh, do, please. But I had the opportunity to commission Daniel Warren Johnson to draw me a Shin Godzilla. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. And it, it turned out great. I loved it. But... Uh, there was a moment where I was kind of like, what's he doing? Because he he whipped that out in like five minutes. It was insane. And he just took his pencil, just blocked it in super squiggly. And I was like, okay, I'm kind of seeing it. And then he pulled out his brush with the ink. And he was just throwing these heavy blacks on these big, thick lines. And there was a moment where I was like, "Where do, where's Godzilla in what you're doing? And then he pulled out the whiteout and added just these little dashes of whiteout. And it brought the whole thing into focus for me. And I was like, holy shit, there he is. You (laughs) did it. There's Goji. And that's amazing. And it was just so cool to almost feel like he brought the artwork out of the darkness, out of this mire that he created. And I think Junji Ito does a similar thing. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. I would pay money to watch Junji Ito work. I would pay good money to watch that happen. Um, The next story we're going to cover really fast. We have two more before we get into our top three. We have Honored Ancestors, which is a story that I feel like is definitely one that, whether or not it's intended, has a lot of thematic weight for me. Where it's like the pressure of your family to be what they want you to be. And in this case, it's literal. You have no choice. Um, What did we think about Honored ancestor, Lexi, you look like you're dying to talk about the yeah. um, the the centipede head. Talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> um, as someone who grew up in a house with our basement have centipedes, Dallas will tell you all about that. Um, the absolute that poor girl. First of all, this poor yeah. girl, absolutely yeah. so traumatized, she loses her memory because she sees this freaking centipede looking mm-hmm. ass head on this man, and this boy's like, "Hey, we're gonna be married." we're going to get married. You're going to be my wife. And she's like, well, I mean, okay, I guess. And then he's like, come meet my dad. Instantly loses her memory. Don't blame her. Um, traumatized. You ever but... see someone so ugly, you forget everything about yourself? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At least uh, twice. At least twice. You're like, ah! <laughs> but then the fact that the freaking centipede, because I mean, we get, before we find out what it is, we see it in her bedroom. And now like the looking back into it, I'm like, 
It was so horrible. Oh, it's just so horrible. I think that one like really got me. I was like, this is so vile. It's like, look at their crusty ass scalps all stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Uh, hate it. Oh, this, no, I don't want to think about it. Hate, hate, hate. I, I will say though, this is the better version of the human centipede. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sold the story. That with your full chest. That's the tagline. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dallas, thoughts? <laughs> or do we do we cover it? Do we get the nail on the head? No, that'd be, that's pretty there's, good. There's a lot of nails and a lot of heads. Do we get them all? Thanks. I hate it. That's my only note. <laughs> no, no. I hate centipedes. That. Centipedes scare the piss so out of me. Yeah. And they said, what was if... traumatized as a child. Yeah. And they said, what if we made the exorcist crawl into a centipede? And I said. <gasps> when he was chasing after her down the hallway, I just said, no. I had to close the book and take a lap. Yeah, I said, go fuck yourself, Junji. What are you talking about? Coming at me like skiddly diddly diddly down the hall? <laughs> I should never be terrorized by skiddly diddle. Frankly, how could you make the crab walk terrifying? It's a, it's a good time. Listen, there you are, nine years old in gym, okay? Mm-hmm. You've got yourself in the crab walk. You're about to play crab ball. Your teacher has blown up the gigantic beach ball that's like six feet tall you don't even know where she got it frankly and there you are boys versus girls planning to kick it as hard as you can at your crush because you don't understand how to flirt yet and junji ito robbed you of that he said what if that core memory had a centipede ass head coming off of an old man who was also Mm -hmm. playing you know those scalps smell yeah you know the you know the crease is just crusty yeah Scott Scalp Schmegma. Do you know how much it would cost to shampoo all those heads? Oh, those are not shampooed heads. There's no, a mad dandruff. Mm-hmm. When that skiddly diddle comes skiddly daddling down the hall, it's like snowstorm, okay? <gasps> oh. There's just a nice white powder all along that whole house. And that's a fun kind. I don't think there is a fun one, but. Some <laughs> <laughs> people would beg to differ. Way yeah. more fun than dandruff, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Just snort a line of dandruff just to feel something. You're like, ah. Oh boy. Lord. Yeah. Human Ugh. centipede with memories. Crazy. And talk to me about, because I think Junjito does a good job of literalizing conceptual horror. So, mm-hmm. what is horrifying about the concept of familial expectation? Just that. <sighs> just that sentence. Just that sentence. (laughs) You answered your own question. It's just the idea of not being in control of your life anymore. Because you look at the character in this book, and it's a literal attachment that he has to his family by the end of the story. And it's a weight that has basically destroyed his life. That house is his home now. He cannot leave. He is there... They are going to be with him for every moment of his life. Like I was thinking about it earlier. It's like, I need a wife so I can have a kid. His entire family is now with him for that. And that is, um, yeah, no, that's, um, that's uncomfortable. All of the story is uncomfortable. And I feel like eh, it says a lot about the fact where it's like, if you be holding yourself to your family's expectations too much, you lose who you are and you lose that sense of individuality independence and it keeps you prisoner it keeps you restrained it keeps you chained and i think this is the literal the literalist version you can possibly get of that 
because it is a long and unbroken chain. I also, going back a little bit to the painter, again, talking about conceptual horror literalized. While mm-hmm. it's a fun succubus story, I think it's really interesting to talk about the horror of how consuming an idea can be. Right. With someone like Junji Ito. Wow. Yeah. Nice pronunciation there, Dallas. Junji Ito, who, I mean, he's written almost 800 pages about Tomie. She lives in his mind rent free. And that can be a scary thing. It can be scary to feel consumed by your work, consumed by anything. When you feel like anything starts to become a bigger deal than your life, that can be a frightening thought. And so then to literalize that as a succubus story mm-hmm. is very smart and is one of the special talents of Junji Ito. Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think um, when we come back around to to what my favorite story was, I think that's one of the most literal um, examples of that. And we will talk about that in just a second. We have one more story to get through um, before we get to our top three. And it is the one that is the least terrifying to me, but it is the one that definitely is the hardest for me to get to. And that is Greased. Does anyone have something to say about Greased? Because I can already feel my throat closing up and um, stomach is spinning. I will talk about it. No shame. Please. This is my number two favorite. I can confidently say that. As someone who pokes zits for a living. Mentioned that already. But no, this story is terrifying. Absolutely disgusting. It'll make your bones go cold. Colder than they already were. Um, But this story follows our little POV cute. She's so cute. She's a very sweet little girl. um, Who lives in this house that is constantly covered in layers and layers and layers of grease because from my understanding her their house is on top of her father's restaurant so like all of the fumes and everything from the restaurant goes straight up to their house and she's got a bitch ass older brother who loves to drink olive oil for some odd reason which is gross by itself don't do that um but everything they own is just covered in oil all the time so you just see like this dark dismal hole that they live in for their house and it's just everything's dirty and you can tell that it bothers both of the children very very adamantly and where the story kind of starts to turn is when the brother starts to hit puberty and he starts to severely severely break out which got me enticed um because i like skincare but he gets bullied and it's this whole thing and it gets so so bad that it basically his whole face is covered in pustules. Like he's just so oily that his skin is just oozing, basically. And in a cruel older sibling type act, he, like Della said, squishes his face juice all over his sister. And it's just like the most icky picture in this whole damn book. It's the worst one. Worst one ever. And we... Also, something I didn't realize after, until after, we get this, like, weird, eerie thing where, I mean, we see their father basically kill their brother because he's being, he's beating the sister. And I didn't realize that he cooked and ate him. Yeah, he served him to the people of the town. They had really they loved it. tender, fatty meat. Yeah. And then he tried to do that to his daughter. The end. Spooky. And did it to himself. Spoopy. Yep. Leg um, right legs. there on the slab. It's like, it's going to go to waste if we don't use it. 
So, Lexi, in this story, the little greasy boy liked to drink olive oil, and that led to him popping zits. My question for you is, do you think your habit of eating butter as a child led to you <laughs> popping zits as an adult? Fuck you. <laughs> it was one time. God. That one time was your first six years of life. Butter. It was, I can't believe it's not butter. So it's worse. Are you? You're drinking golden canola oil like greens. <laughs> no, it was Wait. one spoon. It was one spoonful because uh-huh. I was curious. And then mom yelled at me and I've never been able to escape it for the rest of my life. Little butter eater. I was hiding behind the kitchen island in our old house. <laughs> And they had a spoonful of butter, and my mom just about died when she walked into the kitchen. All I'm saying is I found it eerie. Hmm. There's an oily little boy well. who likes to pop zits, and I knew an oily little girl who now likes to pop zits. <laughs> you don't have any. Life imitating Here. art. What can we say? It's just... No, actually, my skin is so dry that I now have to put on two types of moisturizer. So I felt seen by the olive oil. My lips that. have gotten dry out of nowhere the last like three days and i have no idea why and it's driving me crazy you gotta you gotta glug glug some olive oil fast pronto y'all want to have a tmi moment yes please (laughs) all right so shout out back on our episode with comic book couples counseling covering sex criminals in february i have a 15 minute cold open there where (gasps) i tell a story and two days ago, I'm back in hell. No. I am. I'm not going to tell, tell anymore. No, I haven't told anyone but you two and my wife. That I Addison knows. She does. She does. I'm not going to say it. that. Here's a plug. Go re- listen, listen to, to the to first episode. 15 yep. minutes mm-hmm. of our Sex Criminals episode to know what was happening to me at New York Comic Con. I was sitting there talking to some of my heroes. <laughs> Do you want to like... Raising a quarter inch, sinking a quarter inch, raising a quarter inch, sinking oh, a quarter inch. Dallas. And I think it's because I put on some wet laundry because I yep, didn't I have time to throw in the dryer. So I just whoosh, threw in some wet laundry and ran out the door. Uh, but now I'm not doing the solution from that story. No. Good, good. I'm glad you've learned. I'm going to try Vaseline. I think that will help. No, don't do that. What should I do? Vaseline's a humectant. It won't do anything for you. Okay, what should I do? Just a vino lotion. Mm-hmm. I promise. And then, if you're feeling extra spicy, put Vaseline over top of that. Because then, it'll hold it in. Less little skincare lesson for you guys. Everybody always says to put Vaseline on dry skin. But that's a lie. Vaseline actually has no moisturizing properties at all. But... Because it's a petroleum jelly, it is too big to actually penetrate your pores, the molecular size. So if you put on a good moisturizer before that and then put Vaseline over top, then, like, for example, before bed, if you put it on before bed, then the Vaseline will rub off on your pillow and not the moisturizer that you actually want to stay on your skin. Because then your skin will absorb that, but not the Vaseline. The end. Awesome. So it holds all the products under. Because nothing can penetrate nothing can penetrate through Vaseline. Because it's thick. This this is some good shit. I'm getting. I'm gonna write this down. Look up. This is look wonderful. Up slugging on the internet. Slugging. Yep, slugging. That's what it's called. Speaking of slugging, make sure you read Slug Girl by Junji Ito, which is not <laughs> about <Slug>. skin moisturizing. 
<laughs> not a way to pl- not a way to uh, moisturize your eczema, but still good. Awesome. That's my suggestion for your <laughs> non descript problem that we're not talking about. Thank you very much. Cool. I Love literally that. bought it just now on Amazon. There we go. Love it. Doing my part <sighs> to ruin the ozone. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I love Jeff Bezos. <laughs> we and we thank you for our service. I'm ready for the end. Anyways, speaking of the end, we are now down to our top three stories of the Junji Ito Shiver Collection. Woo woo. Insert, you know, siren sounds here. Woo! Everyone's having a blast. And I wanted to start with you, Dallas. Tell me, out of all these stories, out of oh. all these wonderful little tales of happiness and charm and cute little bunny rabbits and butterflies, what was your favorite? And tell us about why. I loved The Long Dream, the short story about a man whose dreams and his perception of his dreams kept getting longer and longer. So he would just sleep a regular eight hours, but within his dreams that he could remember, he would first have a dream where instead of just a flashing moment, it was like six hours. He lived out a six hour story and then he lived out a 12 hour story. And so this character's dreams just keep growing exponentially longer until eventually he reaches the peak of an eternal dream where his dream goes on in perpetuity and what's interesting is that in classic junji ito fashion this ephemeral sort of cosmic horror that's happening to this person as their mind has to deal with living thousands of years that they can remember their body begins to change in reaction to the amount of time that they're living and so they evolve well past what a normal human looks like as their body begins to degrade and change over the course of this evolution they live entire lives entire millennia that no one else gets to experience but that they remember and just sort of the horror of time was so interesting to me i think cosmic horror is my favorite type the idea of something that is unfathomable and therefore very scary I think often of a time where we were at Lake Powell, which is a big reservoir in southern Utah, and the water levels change a decent amount in Lake Powell because there are a lot of states in the southwest that draw their water from it. So there will be times when the lake is much higher and much lower. And so there are cavities in the red rock cliffs that once the water sinks, create these little just empty lakes, basically, up in the red rocks. And I remember there was one time that we found a very big one that we were all swimming in. And then we were jumping into it, having fun. And then I got up to jump and I just looked and I just saw how black the water was. And for whatever reason, in that moment, I just, it really chilled me to my core. I was like, oh, that's thousands of feet deep. That's a hold to nothing. You know, like that isn't true, but my brain just was like, oh, you're scared all of a sudden. You're scared of this black hole to nothing. And I feel like this idea of the long dream tapped into that a little bit. The time is only fun as we perceive it on a, on a normal pace. But if anything, f- you don't fuck with time. Like if anything fucks with time, I feel like that can get very, very scary. And it left me thinking. I mean, this is what I love so much about this book was each story 
was a horror story unlike anything else I had ever read. And I thought that ruled. It's one of those things that um, it, the idea of being in that place that he is for you, you've had those, I've had those dreams before where it's like, I'm in it and I feel that I'm in it and it makes, it, it feels like it pulls you down. It sinks you into this moment of isolation and loneliness. And I think that's the line from the character that got me the most is just talking about how the space made him feel so alone for such a long time. And it's like, we only get little glimpses of what he's actually seen inside the dream. It's haunting to imagine that you're, it's, it's something you have to do every time you go to sleep. And that's something you can't put off. It's something you can't avoid. It's just something you know is going to happen. And you're going to get locked into that for extended periods of time. And that repetition, I think, is one of the scarier parts to me. It's knowing it's coming, knowing you can't stop it, and knowing you're going to have to live through it. And that buildup is so, so well done. And seeing the physical toll it's taking on his body is just remarkable. And I want to talk, um, after we get Lexi's opinion on the story, I want to talk a little bit about how they use the the female character in the story and the interesting way that it ends as a whole. But first, Lexi, what were your thoughts on The Long Dream? This one ruled. It was so, so good. I um, definitely also in my top three, I would say it was this one, um, the zit one, and then also my my favorite one. But um, I, I want to say a little thing that like made me feel better about how spooky looking he looked at the end. Mm-hmm. I recently watched this random episode of American Dad where Roger, the little alien, has to be nice to everyone or they'll kick him out of the house and it actually physically starts to decay him because he's being too nice and so he looks like the character in bed when he's like on his deathbed and he just roasts everybody rips them all a new one so that he can actually gain his health back and i just think it was so funny it like kind of ruined the body horror moment for me with that i was like oh he looks like roger on his deathbed from being too nice um but no this one really was I agree with Dallas. Like, it was such an interesting thought to have in your mind. Like, I can't imagine just, like, some of the conversations that he had with this doctor. He's like, my day – he's like, my day-to-day is starting to fade. He's like, I cannot remember what happened yesterday. He's like, I know that it was yesterday, but I have no idea what happened. He's like, I've lived thousands of years in between then. And it's starting to just mean nothing to me. means nothing to me anymore. He's like, I'm living these whole lifetimes in my dreams to the point where my real life, I don't know where it stops and starts anymore, which I think is a very interesting and scary perspective. I know, Anne, you mentioned the girl. Is it okay if I talk about her a little bit? Yeah, please. So she was my favorite lens to kind of look at this story through because she's another patient at the hospital. Um, She basically... I mean, they they mention that she's being treated for an illness, but she starts to be horribly paranoid of dying and of death. She's so scared that it's like ruining her possibility to heal. Um, And she's had run-ins with this man who is starting to physically decay, and she thinks of him as the, she calls him the god of death. Like, she thinks that he is coming to take her to die. And we get this other part of the story where he's 
we we see he's kind of obsessed with her because he knows mm -hmm. he knows her name. He meets her in his real life. And then he has a dream with hundreds of years that they spent together as a married couple because he had met her in real life, had that in his subconscious when he went to sleep, and then thought that he had lived this whole life with his wife, Mammy. I remember that was her name. Um, and so when he wakes up, he's like, what did you do with my wife? Where's my wife? I know she's here. This is where we met. You're the one that wanted to keep us separated because he had met her the night before in his walking around the hospital like a scary ass monster and so he's like you're the one that separated me from her i want to go find her and he hunts her down in the hospital and scares the living bejeebas out of her um and it's just so great it's just so crazy like i cannot believe that they're like what they're what he was able to do with this story i just think it, it was so cool mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, th the moment where he realizes that it was all a dream and that this entire life that he envisioned never happened. That was, that was the, just the like heartbreak. see it crush his soul. Yeah. Like, oh God. And I think the, the dichotomy between the two is really, really fascinating because he's a person who these dreams are taking such a toll on him. And you can tell that he really wants to be in this, this waking world. He wants to live his life. He wants to, you know, have that family. He wants to have that life but the dreams aren't letting him and it's interesting to see how at least to me the last page of this book when she's experiencing the long dream how at peace she looks like you can still see that her body is still decaying in the same way but she doesn't look like she's suffering the same way that he did and it's because she i feel like she was so afraid of her own life that having these moments these long dreams where she gets to not be in that moment were actually not a nightmare to her i think that was a release for her i think that was a relief and i think that's really interesting how the same phenomena could be experienced two different ways by two different people i also just my last note is i thought it was really smart to make it not that these people slept for a very long time we saw that in sandman and i thought that was mm -hmm. cool but the idea that it it is truly just your perception because i think the idea that you can perceive something as much scarier than how it really is, is an interesting thread to pull on. Yeah. Time being relative is a frightening thing because it seems bigger than us. Making mm -hmm. a fact of the universe into cosmic horror. Such a cool decision. Such a cool thing. I agree. Wonderful, wonderful choice for your favorite story. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> And on to Lexi, what was your favorite story of this bunch? My favorite story of this book was Marionette Mansion, where we basically follow our two, we kind of have two POV characters, I would say. Um, it's a young man and his younger sister. And we kind of start off in the story following their family along in their journey. And they're a marionette troupe. Which, for those who don't know, marionettes are those spooky-ass freaking puppets on strings. And that's all you need to know about this damn story. I already was terrified of those to begin with. So, if I ever see one of those sons of bitches, I'll cut the strings so fast and throw it in the river. Um, but we follow our main character, the young man. He, um, he has three siblings, so it's him his older brother and his younger sister and their dad. And they're traveling all around to different cities. They spend about a month at a time in each one, just living in their truck and doing little puppet shows. 
to make money. And they're very poor. They're not doing so hot. And one night, their older brother comes to the brother, the younger brother, and says, I'm leaving. I'm out. I need to go do something else. I cannot stand the fact that I feel like these marionettes are controlling me. He has this whole big monologue about like, I we're not the ones controlling these puppets. They're controlling us. They're the reason that we can't succeed in life, we need to cut our ties and get rid of them. And so he disappears. Um, and shortly after, their father is struck down with illness and he later passes. And at the time, the brother, the youngest brother and his sister are quite young still. So they move in with a family member until the older brother can finish school. And then he takes the sister, gets a nicer apartment for the two of them, and they start their life together. Um, And we also see another character from um, earlier in the book. I forgot to mention her. But while they're on the road, um, they stop in a town for a little while. And he meets this girl who he kind of has a connection with, but of course they're only there for about a month. So we get this kind of dramatic scene where he's driving away in the back of their truck and she's like, I will see you again. I just know it. It's very cute. And jump forward seven years in time and they do in fact meet each other again. And she recognizes him on the street and is like, I know you. I knew I'd find you again. And they immediately hit it off. They start casually dating, they're having a good time, and then all of a sudden, they get this unannounced letter in the mail from their older brother, who has base- has been living in their town for the same amount of time that they have been, and he just has never reached out, they've never been in contact with each other since, they- since he left that night, and he invites them to come to his house, meet his family, meet just basically catch up he's like I missed you guys so we see them so so excited to go meet with their older brother and we get there and we are immediately introduced to the brother and his wife and their three-year-old son and the instant body chills they open the doors and the entire family is on marionette strings in their own home And they're being controlled by people in the ceiling, which I just, oh, the instant shivers that I got when they're like, this is our son. He's asleep right now, but he's standing right here next to us. I'm like, what the fuck? What the fuck? They're little three-year-olds dancing around on strings, but he's asleep. Um, And it's basically we follow the story of how they explain why they're on marionette strings, their benefits for it. And it kind of starts to take an eerie turn. Um, We're kind of getting a look into the family that's more and more dark. And it's very, it's a very large social commentary on like us being controlled by our surroundings, us being controlled by different outliers. And I just find it very eerie how quickly and how easily it is for people to fall into something similar to that. And I don't particularly know exactly why it hit me so hard, but I just remember being so creeped out by like the realness of the story, I guess. So, well, I think it's so interesting that he found success by being adopted. That when they were living their sort of bohemian life, going wherever they were, they were always in squalor. But the second he settled down and decided to be puppeted, 
that's when he started to find success. And I was like, oh, that hits me where I live right now because I am wanting more and more to figure out a way to exist in a freelance way because I'm sick of working a nine to five. I'm sick of feeling beholden to the puppet strings of capitalism. And so this story really struck me. I'm, <laughs> this is one of the stories that I'm glad that you said it was your favorite. Cause it's one of the ones that I found hardest to connect to and I can't figure out why it's, it's the one where I read it through several times and I'm like, I, I'm trying to figure out what the, what the, what the main theme is theme is here that I can connect to and I like it was this time through that I caught on to the fact that it's like we are the we're not controlling the puppets the puppets are controlling us and basically what you said Dallas I thought you put it perfectly it's just I can sorry completely lost my train of thought um I also just this was written before smartphones but the idea of the puppet puppeteering us like yeah. how many of our tools run our life at this point like, mm -hmm. are you really in charge of your Twitter account or is no. your Twitter account in charge of you? Yes. You know, and like, it's fu it's funny. It's funny to joke, but there are sometimes where I'm like, oh, I'm addicted to this. Mm -hmm. Like, I am addicted to refreshing this and checking in on it. And that's scary. It's scary that I have thought about in the novel Luda, Grant Morrison writes about phones as modern day colostomy bags. And I haven't been able to escape that image since I read that. It's, like, it's always with us and it's carrying around all of our shit. Oh, does, does this mean Twitter is going to stab me? Maybe. Yes. Okay. Good. I just, need to, I just need to know that it's coming. That's the main thing. Alexis, was there a moment that made this your favorite or was it just the complete piece? I think specifically when the little sister started to be really intrigued in what was going on and I felt very like, oh, I can kind of see that in my own life. Like I, there's a lot of things going on in my own personal life that I mean doesn't need to be addressed, but basically like I feel the pressure to be puppeted, if that makes sense. Like I feel the pressure of somebody wanting to make my life a certain way and me basically have no opinion on it which has been, of course, very frustrating. And so when I we get to kind of see the little sister be like, well, I mean, they keep telling me, like, this will be so fun. It'll be so great. Like, it'll be so easy for you. Um, and then we get the jump to the end where she's like, this is, this. that was not what I, that wasn't what I wanted. That wasn't what I thought it was. I don't want anything to do with that. It just was very telling to me. Like, there are probably so many people in the world that are living that exact experience so i think that's what stood out to me the most i like that um yeah thank you for sharing that story i you also had a wonderful wonderful take on it so those are the first two of our top three the last one left is the last story in the book that we haven't talked about the hanging balloons, or as they call it in this book, the hanging blimp, which always, I don't know why it has two different titles. I've always known it as the hanging balloons, but this is a story about a young woman who finds out that her friend, a celebrity in Japan has committed suicide and the 
the entire city of i believe it's in tokyo i think the the story takes place in tokyo the entire city is talking about it a buzz about it she hangs herself from a wire um very public suicide and it's all over the news it's all anyone's talking about it's all anyone can think about and she is one of the few people that knew this girl personally and so the death has taken a toll on everyone and one of the people it's taken the heaviest toll on is the um young woman's um, boyfriend who is actually being berated and accused of causing her suicide by members of her fan group and we see that he is being actively followed by a spectral vision of this woman's head specifically just her head in the shape and form of a giant like hot air balloon and i think that that first image that we see it in his backyard just sitting there is haunting i i love the build-up in the story very very much as just as i go on i I love the build-up and we get to a point where this head is starting to spread around and people are starting to see this this ghost everywhere and everyone keeps talking about it and the the buzz about the celebrity's death keeps building and building so even like weeks after her demise people are still talking about her and it gets to a point where her boyfriend calls up her friend and says, you need to come here right now and check it out. You can actually see this for yourself. After, And she is hesitant, but a picture of the head was like released online that she thought was fake. So she has that curiosity to go find out for herself. And she finds that the boyfriend was not telling... He was telling the truth. And there actually is a giant head floating in the sky. And as he tries to reach... As he tries to reach it, climbing a tree, he reaches out and there's a noose hanging from the tree. And he's falls into it he basically lets himself fall into it and before she can get up there to help him another head emerges emerges from the tree and you realize that this man is hanging from a balloon of his own head and that is a sentence in and of itself that kind of explains one of my main draws to the story one of the reasons why this is my favorite because it's just a monster and imagery that is just so beyond anything i've experienced in any other horror story that it just it it draws me in. It's it's magnetic. It's electric, and I love I love that thrill. I love that um, the energy that it brings. And later the next day, she tries to explain what she saw, but she doesn't have to explain for very long because in the distance, growing very very slowly, are faces in the sky that look like her and her three friends. And soon these balloons are popping up everywhere, going on homicidal rampages looking for the person whose head matches theirs and hanging them from the sky. And you can't fight them because if you do anything to the balloon, whatever happens to the balloon happens to your own head. And very soon this entire epidemic has overtaken the entire city, maybe further, but as far as we know, and it gets to a point where this girl is just trapped inside her house and these balloons are taunting her from outside to let her in, to let them in. And the end Maybe one of them tricks her. Maybe it doesn't. I can't tell you because I do not want to spoil the story any further than that. I think you should read it and experience it for yourself. But this story was the first one in this, like the the fashion model scared me. But this was the first story that stuck with me. And I think it was just the creativity of the monster. I think it was the um, the buildup of the story that gave it the atmosphere that I really, really wanted. But also I think it's, one of the ones where whether it was intended or not, I think the themes are very strong. There's something to be said whenever um, 
a celebrity dies, or especially if a celebrity dies in a very tragic way, like through suicide, the way that people talk about it and spread it around, like people who didn't even know them, but just knew of them and the way that their deaths can linger and stay around for so long. And the heartbreaking ways that if it's suicide, sometimes we see cases of um, copycats and people who follow in their footsteps for that little bit of fame. And it's one of the stories where it makes me feel a lot for the main character because she was one of the few people who knew this, the first, um, the first girl, especially like personally. And it's ironic in that way that she's the last one left in the story at the end, because it's like the grief and the, the buzz of it consumes the entire city before it consumes her. And she's not, she's like the only one who hasn't been allowed to express that at all. And it's interesting to see how the death of someone you knew can consume other people in different ways than it consumes you. And I think that distances her from that relationship quite a bit. And I thought that was also very haunting in its own way. I didn't even think about that. That is super cool. That's a really cool observation. I had a smart moment. (laughs) I've succeeded in this episode. We can cut there. Um, Thanks for tuning in to the collective. We will see you next week. And um, I peaked. Damn. Yeah, that was cool. You made that a way cooler story for me. Thank you. Dang. Yeah. Yeah, I've been (laughs) I've been thinking about that story for a long time. I think between this story, um, Blackbird and the Enigma of Amagara Fault, those are the three stories that Junji Ito's written that have hit me the hardest. I think about this story like once a at least once a month. Because I just think if I ever go back to writing horror, this is the level of originality and depth that I want to hit every single time. I will not settle for anything less. It's it it stuck with me for good reason. But I want to ask, what did you two think about this story when you read through it? I think for me, it was more of just being in awe of the novelty of it. I kind of mm-hmm. touched on that earlier in this episode where I said Junji Ito tells horror stories I've never heard before. But this especially, I was like, balloons with nooses. Like That's mm-hmm. an image you came up with and then wrote a compelling story around. That is so different from anything else anyone else is talking about. And I don't think that it had hit me in quite the same way until you just talked about it, Anne. And now I want to reread it because it's going to be more than novelty now. Like I I was surprised, I'll admit, when you were like, oh, I love this one so much. And I read it and I was like, oh, that was cool. And like, what a cool premise. But that one didn't speak to me as much. But now that you talk about it, I absolutely it feels elevated to me beyond just novelty. Um, I will say before I hand off to Alexis that this had one of my favorite examples of comic book craft in this story on page from page 157 to 158 in our editions, you have someone who decides to pop one of the balloons to defend themselves. And the way that the page is structured, the consequences of that event are hidden from your eye until you get to them which is a really hard thing to do in comics because a movie has complete control over what you see when, but a comic book has to deal with the fact that you get all the information at once and they just have to be powerful enough to make you look at things in order. And so hiding the consequences of that action in the gutter of that page 
in the bottom left-hand corner, the furthest away from where your eye is going to be reading, they, at least for me, Junji Ito very effectively made me not see what happened until it happened. And I was amazed by that. I was like, you put that consequence in the perfect spot to hide it from me. And I was just blown away. I paused right there and thought about that for a minute. I was like, that is a mastery of the comic book craft. You put that on any, you put that on the other page, it's immediately spoiled when we open it. You put that anywhere else on this page and it's spoiled before we get to the story. But because of where you put it, I experienced that in the real time you wanted me to. And Mm -hmm. that makes you a master. Loved it. Very, very great observation. That was the exact moment where I was like, holy shit, this story just got real. Because I was like, it didn't feel scary until that moment for me. Mm-hmm. When I was like, oh, God, there really is no way to get out of what these balloons are doing. So I I really did like this one a lot. And Dallas 100% took the words right out of my mouth. Damn you. <laughs> oh, he does that a lot. Yeah, damn you. <laughs> I just like all... I have the best words. The Me, best. Dallas Taylor, best words. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's all the stories in Shiver and what we thought about them. And that was that was a lot. There was a lot to go through in this. And I appreciate you guys so much for, for soldiering through that. But yeah, I'm glad that everyone liked the book. I'm glad that everyone found things that spoke to them i think that's the best part about anthology books is there's always going to be something that speaks to someone individually and that's that's great um yeah i think that's about all i have to say on the book as a whole do we want to take this time now to jump into the viewer questions that is a wonderful idea i can read the first one from our notes all right this one comes from marie parson she says Long-time listener, second-time asker. I'm an infinite, infamous scaredy cat. What spooky comics can you recommend that you won't, that won't have me leaving the lights on and hugging Mr. Grumbles, my stuffed bear? Mr. Grumbles says hello. Hello, Mr. Grumbles. Hello, Mr. Grumbles. So what scary comics are not going to leave Marie hugging her bear? Not this one, Marie. <laughs> yeah, this one is pretty spooky. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I don't think the me you love in the dark will scare you too bad, mm-hmm. but it is, it's a really cool example of how horror can be a very symbolic genre. I think the reason I like horror so much is it seems like it's always about something. Mm-hmm. And that one is very clearly about something without, at least for me, crossing a line into being too terrifying. Yeah, I'd, I'd second that. That one's that one's really solid. I think, um, oh, I was just talking about it um, the other day. Harrow County. I think if you want a solid horror book that's not too scary, but definitely has all those fun, spoopy elements, I think Harrow County is solid. It's one of those books that doesn't have like doom and gloom about it. It's like we have those, we have those scary horror moments, but we have a character who's really compelling. Um, we have lots of lots of fun monsters we have lots of fun moments but i don't think it's gonna leave you like leaving the lights on at night absolutely and i would actually add in general if you haven't read any horror comics i too was a big scaredy cat for a long time horror movies were a big no for me for a very long time and it was actually horror comics 
that got me into the genre because like I said at the top of this episode, there was no score to get me wound up. There are no jump scares in comic books. I mean, what what's it going to do? Jump off the page at you? And I felt more in control of what was happening in horror comics. And it really opened up that genre to me. So I'm not promising mm-hmm. that will be your same experience, but it was definitely my gateway drug into liking horror. And my first one was Witches by Scott Snyder and Jock, mm. which I, it definitely unsettled me a lot. Like I had to be brave to read it, but it's always had a fond place in my heart because of that. Nice. I'm going to go back and um, one of my things I want to do this week is I want to start checking out Revival again because I picked up the first copy of that and I think I stopped right before like a lot of the really spoopy stuff started happening and before the plot like really kicked in and I need to give it a second read. For anyone who hasn't read it, it's about what happens if all the dead people in a town suddenly come back to life with no explanation. Pretty, pretty neat. Yeah, rip. I've been reading The Walking Dead and... Mm -hmm. It's my favorite soap opera with zombies. Somebody just tried to uh, slit their wrists because they caught their boyfriend getting a blowjob. And I was like, this is a crazy book. This is a fully crazy book. Where are the zombies? What have the zombies been doing? It's been too long. Love that. I need to, I'll I'll go back and try it again. You like it. Evan likes it. I'm going to give it a second shot. I, you should be in a better mood about comics before you do. <laughs> it's not nice to the female characters. Okay. Just knowing I, where you're at with comics. Yeah. I would bank a bunch of good feelings before giving The Walking Dead a try. Because I think okay. at this point you'd be like, fuck this book. I'm going to read My Boyfriend is a Bear like five times in a row. I was just going to say that. That's a good one. It is a good one. Or just That's... read Clementine. That's a good Walking Dead one. Okay. If you want um <laughs> if you really want to try dipping your feet into horror, just pull up my boyfriend as a bear for self-care afterwards. You'll be fine. Yes. That's a good one. Oh, Lexi, do you want to read the second question? I do. I do. Okay. So it says, Hey y'all, hope you're doing well. And I hope Dallas had a great time at New York Comic Con. My question for this my questions for this week are number one. Junji Ito has the capacity for turning basic mundane thoughts like, man, it'd be cool if somebody could move my body around for me into horrifying existential crises. How do you think he does it? I think he finds the ones that everybody thinks. Mm-hmm. And makes it creepy. Um, I almost want to say by accident because I just yeah. keep thinking about his commentary at the end of everything where he's just like, yeah, I just wrote this story because saw a caterpillar once. <laughs> Creeped me out as a kid. So, you know. I can't tell if I loved that or hated that because yeah. I was like, what a brilliant commentary on this. And he'd be like, teehee, I thought it'd be very spoopy to do a caterpillar. And I was like, honestly, I... it kind of made it better. It made it less scary for me afterwards. I was like, look at this ding dong telling me that he didn't even really put any thought into this story that traumatized me. It's like where you watch the um the Friday the 13th movies and then you watch the outtakes where Jason like trips over his own feet. And you're like, oh, it is just, it's just a person. It's just oh, a person. a person in there. When the world. I have always really wanted to read Junji Ito's horror comic about his cats. He wrote oh my God, a horror. Oh so good. Oh, I want to. Alexis, he wrote a manga just recounting all the normal ass shit that cats do. But he used his talent as a horror manga to creator 
to make it a horror manga about how cats hunt your feet and like it's freaky. I want to read it. I already kind of don't fun. like cats. Ooh, I thought I had it on my shelf. I do not. It is um <laughs> all the horror elements are used in such a fantastically fun way. It's 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 great. I love that. I really want to read that and I really want to read Tomie. Uh yeah, I want to read that one big time. Yeah. Okay. Round two. Question number two. What do you love about his art? I like how it can be it can come off as mundane with regular people and clash with the horrifying. I think as a as as a musician, as someone who used to play a lot of music, I think of his art a lot like a piece of music. Because you'll have a lot of panels in a row of just like regular, you know, quarter notes, half notes, stuff like that. And then you'll have moments of accents and wonderful bursts of forte that just burst through his um, art. His art has levels and in volume. I can, it's like a symphony. There's, it varies in how loud it is at any given moment. And I think that's what speaks loudest about it. I think it really brings this, this cool quote to mind for me where it's like Junji Ito's art is like an onion. It has layers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shrek. Oh, the greatest saint of our time. It's true. It's true. Shrek. Welcome to Shrek-tober coverage. <gasps> we should watch Shrek. Ooh, we do our Cats episode with Shrek. <gasps> I'm down. What the hell? That'd be so much better than Cats. What the... What? <laughs> oh, I have no memories of that movie. We... <laughs> Me either, because I also was super stoned while we were watching it, so it just made it worse. <laughs> Honestly, that would have made it better. I should have thought of no, that. Oh, it made it worse. I was like, I watched I that fucking thing sober. What the fuck was I doing? <laughs> oh, good times. Okay, question number three. Oh, also a question for Anne specifically. Where does the model rank in the blonde tier list? Bite me. <laughs> <laughs> What answer? Three. Literally, shark girl bite me. She got lots of pointy That's, teeth. The tear just says bite me. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Question number four. What is your least favorite type of horror? For me, it's demons and slashers. One can be solved with a priest. Gross. The other is just an angry asshole. I agree with the demons. That really gets me feeling icky. Don't like it. I... I think I'm going to agree with the the demons, but it's for a different, I think anything where it's like, I know exactly what you are and how to get rid of you. Isn't scary for me. Mm. I'm like, that's, that's not a horror thing. That's a pest control problem. Just call like, you got a priest. Like I got a demon in my house. Okay. Tell me what your fucking name is and we'll deal with you with some salt and holy water. I'll go Winchester on your ass. <laughs> I'm going to kick you out of my house. I don't, like when a movie feels the need to crank to a supernatural level in the final act like if it has been grounded the whole time and then like a great example of this recently was the movie the invitation i went and saw it and it wasn't a good movie ever but it was basically like a retelling of the dracula story in a modern setting and then in the third act it was like and then the main character, she's going to drink Dracula's blood and then she's going to have a fist fight with all the vampires. And it's like, it turned into like a Marvel movie at the end. And I was like, <laughs> what is happening? Why are we having a CGI battle in the last act of this relatively grounded horror movie? And that's the most extravagant example, but there's a decent amount of horror that all of a sudden is like, and now the bad guy is cranked to 11 and he can't be stopped. 
until it is. And I'm like, oh, that is a lazy ass way to end. There are a lot of horror movies with bad endings. And I know that's not a genre. That doesn't really answer your question. But like a great horror movie, if it's got a shitty ending, ruins it for me. I'm just like, and eh, I don't care anymore. The end. You know, a great horror movie that cranks it up to 11 at the end and it works. Hmm. Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Good, yeah, one. good one. Beautiful. Um, Press that red button. My perfect example is Halloween, where mm. Michael Myers never became a superhero. He just yeah. stayed consistent and cool. He never suffered from you've shown me him so he's not scary anymore syndrome because his design was simple enough that showing me all of him didn't actually tell me anything. It kept him scary as hell. And I just don't feel like a lot of people can capture that magic. Nope. The shape is special. I just love the shape. The guy that likes to stab people for fun. I think that's why I had a problem with the last Halloween movie. Because I liked the 2018 reboot because I felt like it captured a lot of that. Mm-hmm. But then the the last movie, they're like, JK, supernaturally, and let's do it. We got yeah. this. Yep. I don't like it. Gets run through with a pitchfork and walks away. <laughs> As you do. I mean, I've only done it three times, so what yeah. would I know? Yeah, I mean, it's fine. Fine. Okay. Question number five and final. I personally like Ito because of how his stories have a psychological impact. What's your favorite psychological horror? Best best wishes, Eduardo. The one that immediately came to mind for me was The Color Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. It's a story about people being driven crazy by not being able to comprehend a color that doesn't exist on Earth coming to Earth. They see a color from space that they don't have the capacity to understand. And it makes them go cuckoo nuts crazy. And I always thought that was a really cool one. Because I couldn't imagine a color that I Mm -hmm. didn't know. And so that was a fun thought experiment. I love Lovecrafting horror. You get into psychological horror. You get a lot of you get a lot of overlap with Lovecraft. A lot of that's very fun. I like um, I like (laughs) it's hard because I like the the book version a lot more than the movie but i like the shining a lot i think the isolation and the descent into madness is handled so so very well and it's just there have been two times that i can count that a novel has made me turn the lights on like i mean the lights was already on because i was reading but you know what i mean like for when i'm sleeping i had to leave the lights on and reading the chapter um towards the end of the shining it's i forget the 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 room number but the chapter name is just a room number and that scared me shitless that was a lot to deal with the the shining is one of my favorite horror novels i'm i'm reading it right now it's very (laughs) fun i don't know i don't know what mine is (laughs) hmm I'm also kind of a little pansy, and I don't like scary movies. Um, psychological horror. Oh, I might have to tweet my answer later. I really don't know. I really don't tweet know if I've answer. ever actually seen one. We'll figure mm-hmm. something out. I'll, I'll, it'll hit me in 20 minutes after we've ended our recording, and I'll be like, son of a bitch. I can't wait. I'm excited. I'll text you. I'll text it to everyone when I think of it. We will let you up the hook. Sorry, Eduardo. 
All right. Any other thoughts, everybody, before we end? No, that was a long and we had a lot to talk about. That was, I think we got it all covered. Because you picked a damn good one, Anne. Well done. That was a great book. I think I was the most excited I've seen everybody about a book in a while. Yeah. You really killed it. Yeah. Awesome. I think it's the fastest I've read a book for this podcast in a while without having to take my instigated break. I was like, I have to take this break. Otherwise, I won't sleep. The the mandatory Edo break. Mm -hmm. I would not be opposed to someone picking another Edo book in the near future. Oh, I'm considering it. But we don't decide that kind of stuff anymore. We decide just right before we do it now. There's no more schedule. It's the Wild West. Flying by the seat of our pants. For fun. Like I do every week. (laughs) It's crazy not knowing what we're doing next month. It's insane. It's wild. Yeah. I like living in the moment. Me too. True. It is fun. All right, everyone. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can follow us at our TikTok account at the Comics Collective, or you can find each of us at our personal Twitter accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you like the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review and we will read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And we will see you next week for our episode with special guest Owen from the YouTube channel Owen Likes Comics as we discuss Scott Snyder, Jock, and Francesco Francavilla's Batman the Black Mirror. Ooh, I'm so excited to get back into this one. I read this book for the first time while I was working at Lowe's. I literally read it at my customer service counter because I couldn't pull up my phone, but I couldn't use the computer and I could pull up comiXology on the computer and no one was any of the wiser. Genius. Absolute genius, bro. Absolutely. To honor that, I think I will be reading it at my work this week on my work computer. I love that. Perfect. Yeah. In your memory. <laughs> it's Very like poetry. Excited. It rhymes. It rhymes. All right, everybody. Thanks. Bye. See ya.